Okay, cool. All right, I'm start. I'm gonna start the meeting. We'll see you soon. All right, thanks. Okay, bye bye. Right, welcome, welcome. It is great Hello. to see you all. Hey, Charna, I'm loving the background. Oh, I got another one. <laughs> like a beautiful sunset. It's at Masada and the Dead. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oops, there's some. Yeah. <laughs> Sandrine will be late. She's coming. She'll be. Okay, cool. Well, that's a very appropriate backdrop for tonight's uh, conversation. Well, let me see. Tell me which one you like better. Um, okay, that's option one. Ah. Oh. This, wow. Oh, well. That is fantastic. Wait, who, are, these, are these your pictures or these are pictures you found? Mine. Wow. Look at that. That's very special. That is very, very special um super cool i'm cool with either one i think they're both good you could switch it up in the middle mm -hmm. um steve welcome adina malco welcome charna welcome anastasia welcome it is great to see you all so we're waiting on a few more people as well as ariella who's going to jump on it momentarily um give me a moment and make sure that hey charna yeah i just came on late um I'm curious about the pictures. I missed something. Oh, this is, <laughs> my cat just jumped up. Uh, it's the snake path up to Masada. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Hey, Adrian, how are you? Hi, fine, how are you? Good, thank God, great to see you. It's been a long time. It's been a little bit, it's been a little bit. Yep. I'm just, I'm so um, going crazy here because I'm like 45 minutes to an hour away from finishing the book. Uh -huh. Uh-oh. Well, hopefully it doesn't get too spoiled tonight. Hopefully well, I know, I, I know the ultimate end of, right. the, but I don't know, you know, the story of the, the women at you know, the very end. Okay. Yeah, so, I have okay. 20 pages left. I've been reading all Saturday and Sunday. It's okay. It's such a page turner. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. It's like this craziness. Like I, I've been to Masada many times, but I've never been able to put true context to it. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cool themes over here. Um, the, his, the, the historical fiction is just like it's it's really special. 
everyone go up that um i don't know what you call it that that carriage that takes you up to the top the gondola yeah yeah i'm trying to figure out how i want to look at is that hana is that harna charna charna yeah yes. what a fabulous backdrop you put in there yeah. how perfect i should have put one i should look at my photos and try to find one i have some really old ones but i would have to scan them in and the quality isn't as good oh no That's i've got old ones from the 70s yeah well i've got uh you know, I've got being by the dove, the dove coast, you know, where they kept the birds. I've got oh. pictures of that. And oh, really? Pictures of uh, Ben's granddaughter when she was six uh, in a bathtub. <laughs> mm. um, you have pictures of the dove coat? Yeah. I got to see if I could. I don't know. Can I like click away from the meeting and go to my photo albums? I think so, but then then you yeah. have to figure out how to put it in as a backdrop, which is well, that that's not a hard top thing. I okay. just have to find. Let me see. Yeah, if I but can... for sure you can you can click away. Okay, right, so let me welcome Ariella. Welcome, welcome, Hello. our fearless leader. Welcome, <laughs> and Eve. Welcome. It is great Hi. to see you. So I, I let's officially get this um, get the conversation started. I just want to say that it's really really special. It's really wonderful and exciting to see everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful Passover. I hope you had a nice holiday. I hope all your matzo was nice and fresh and crunchy. Um, and your mar wasn't too bitter. And I hope that everybody is healthy and happy. And uh, thank God, hopefully, please God, in a, in, in a good place. All right. We have just a tremendous conversation tonight. This book, The Dove Keepers, what a, what a keeper of a book. What a dove keeper of a book. It is just gorgeous, evocative. I'm not going to say more. I'm going to turn it over to Ariella because I know that Ariella, listen, the first question that Ariella asks, I've noticed your, the pattern is, what did you think about the book? So I'm going to stop Bye. saying what I think about the book and allow, allow you to ask the question <laughs> so that everybody can jump in on it. All right. So without ado, Ariella, take it away, please. That's where we, how we always start. But um, yeah, so... Definitely, I think a fascinating book. I actually read it for the second time just before uh, this book club. Um, I hadn't read it a while back. I just wanted to have it fresh, you know, or be more intention. Um, I had this very similar kind of like navigation through a book than the first time, even though I knew how I would develop this time. It's at the beginning of the story, I had a hard time sympathizing with the characters. So like the stories about Yael as the main character. And I was like, I just don't sympathize with her. And then when the, the, the books start evolving into all these different voices, I, you just learn that they're all human. And when you see someone from others perspective, you're more forgiving, you know? So, so it, it gave me that um, deeper understanding of, of just like, human reality and, and I really appreciate that. Um, and it's just overall really well written and, and a fascinating story. Um, so I would love to hear, yeah, your appreciation. Mm. Well, I just couldn't put it down. And it was just, I had to just keep turning the page and turning the page. And I was um, kind of really sort of a 
all kind of, I couldn't believe how much magic and sorcery and amulets and potions and lotions and spells. And I just, is that Jewish? Yep. Kind of, <laughs> what is this? We're going to go there for sure. So, yeah, so much for one God. I mean, I know. I, um, Rabbi Ari needs to come back because one of the things I specifically mentioned to him is that. I mean, it's all so fascinating and we can talk from all the magic and um, from a book perspective, but then also like to better understand the line between religion and God, God, godly and magic, even within the Jewish framework or just in general. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. So we're going to get there for sure. Definitely an interesting, fascinating piece of the, of the novel. Yeah, when I... Uh... Yeah. When I was married before, my ex-mother-in-law, um, oh wait, how do I get, oh, there it is. There we go. Oh, yeah. my, ex, my ex-mother-in-law, um, at, when she was a child, got burned very badly by hot water. And so her mother renamed her to Fool the Devil. Named you know. She renamed her. She gave her a different middle name to fool the devil. Yep. I mean, and we do, that's actually a common practice nowadays. We, we think there is fate associated to a name. And if God forbid someone is very sick, um, we change their names. And that's very common today in Judaism. So there, there's a lot we can talk about that specific topic. And I guess like it could be a whole class by itself, but We'll try to keep it in the context of the book as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else with just general appreciation or oh, whether I it know. connects you if people I, have been there? I have been telling everybody they need to read the book. It just, it gives so much um, texture to everything that we've learned but our own imagination can't really conjure up the yeah. life on Masada and the life right. go traveling through the Judean desert. And, you know, I mean, even, even the flat boat ride across the Dead Sea, you know, that that's like, I always wondered, do people ever actually take boats onto the Dead right. Sea? Know. You know? All right. So. Yeah. I'm happy to hear. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Thank you. The, the yeah. book actually started with gore, with the destruction of the second temple. It started a little gory and, you know, ended that way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it never wasn't that way. Like, I feel the whole story was very, even the, the positive pieces of it, you, you knew there was this underlying death or fear or negativity or I don't know it's that combination it was never pleasant or happy and and he feels that like Jews were so connected to to the temple back then that at least that generation when he, he, he got destroyed of it there was no life outside of it and and actually and, and that's something Rabbi Ari we can discuss but like even their Judaism was less of a of like a framework you know it was like do we need to follow the rules now we don't have the temple you know so and and there's true to that too like when when all your 
rituals where it's centered in one place and that place disappears, like, do we keep the rituals? It's like some point there, like even like slowly, slowly, like more rules stop being relevant, you know, because the temple is not there. And I, I think also just to jump into that one point, and maybe we can pick that up as a separate theme, but like, you know, the temple was a place where lots of magic was going on. It was a place that according to the Mishnah, there were 10 miracles that happened on a consistent basis in, in the Holy Temple, in the Beit HaMikdash. So when that's taken away, I, I don't, maybe not everyone, the first, the first response is not necessarily, well, let's totally pivot Judaism and go to a study synagogue approach. Maybe it's what other magic is after or what other sort of <clears throat> supernatural, super, you know, other forms of magic can we conjure up? So I, I just think that's, that's a theme that certainly is prevalent. Oh, hold on, Ariela, you're, you're muted. We can discuss this more later, but it, it has happened through Jewish history and in like in a very micro level, like really we cannot compare, but like even when like synagogues stopped being like the center of Jewish life with like COVID, it's like, do I practice less because I don't have this framework that like helps me practice or my Judaism shouldn't be affected by it. So I think like at different levels, we've, we've been through these through history just by, by the nature of like our own history and just the context <clears throat> um, in general. So but, any just, other- just to, <coughs> just to jump in for my, my perspective on the, the book in general, I, I just want to echo some of the sentiments that I heard. I heard Adrian mention this. Um, it's just bringing an era to life in such a gorgeous way. It's, it's, it's a very humbling, it's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful to, to read. And it's so evocative and it's so descriptive. And whether or not that was exactly the way it was, doesn't bother me. It's like, even if it's completely different, but it's, 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 it's whatever world she created is gorgeous and it's yeah. raw and it's violent and it's beautiful and it's mm -hmm. loving and it's violent and it's, but it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's real on some level. That's what I thought. I know it's like we're all like without words. I think. <laughs> well, I, I was, uh, I felt like at the beginning, as I was reading, I was being very critical and saying, "Well, this is a run-on sentence. This is, you know, she's <laughs> really too much description, and you got to tighten right. it up." And this is the reason it hadn't been a runaway bestseller. Um, and I was saying that for about the first eight or 10 pages. And usually a book, uh, I belong to three different book clubs, I, I read a lot. The books that I truly like that I'll never forget, that I always recommend to people, they catch me in the first, some of them the first sentence, you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, you know, that kind of thing, or the first paragraph, the first page. So I was saying, no, this isn't going to be a keeper or, you know, lend it to everybody I know. Well, of course, by the third page, I changed no. my mind about that. The descriptions 
it was, you used evocative, and that's the word that I was thinking throughout the whole book. You know, you really felt like you were participating. The descriptions were wonderful. It could have been a little tighter. There, if you really want to criticize it, it could have been tighter. Yeah. But the story itself and her developing the plot where the four women, uh, when they came, how they came together, how they all were on Masada, uh, the reaction to each other was beautifully done and the changes in periods was beautifully done. Um, yeah. And the, the development, even um, some of the things were rather obvious when the, uh, the man from the North, you know, like it's probably by the first page of the man of the North, you say, uh-huh, he's going to have a relationship with, you know, so you knew what was happening, but it was developed beautifully. And uh, I just, Truly, you know, this is the first book I've read. You know, this is the first book, you know, with, uh, uh, with you all. Uh, but this is a start. I can't wait to find out what the second book is going to be. Uh, and, and my Welcome. book is, is already, I have three people. So I have my book played in the front of the book so they know who to give it back to. I have three people already chomping at the bit for the book. So, and that's why uh, when I have a choice, I get the, the physical book. Rather, rather than the Kindle, because the Kindle is mine. You read it, that's the end of it. When you have a physical book, it can go on and on and on. And when, when I run out of people to give it to, I say to the last person, all right, don't give it back to me. Do you have anybody? Keep it going. And this is a book I hope a lot of people will read. 100%. Yeah, but I, I cannot agree more with the beginning of the book. It just... Again, and it happened to me twice. I, I, could, I, I was like, there's something wrong here. And then you read a little bit more. And I also have that, that gave a book need to calm my eyes in the first five pages. And I was a little bit hesitant. I thought it was too long. We usually have books that are around the 300 pages uh -huh. in the book club. Um, and I thought people may just be like, there's 500 more pages and I'm not into it at the page number, whatever, three or five. But then it's just so fascinating. So I'm happy people committed to it and mm -hmm. got to finish it. Um, before getting into the book itself, I have for everybody who has the physical copy. Um, let's talk about the cover. In just one word answer, who do you think is the character in the cover? Or did you specifically think is one of the four uh, protagonists or you just didn't even think about it? Hmm. No, I, I, I thought it was, at first I thought it was Yael, but now I think it's Aziza. Okay, interesting. I thought it was... I yeah, think yeah. it's Shira. You think it's Shira? Yeah, I, I mean, that's the whole point. I don't think it's... It's, uh, it's, it's all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's all of them. Um, I also thought it was Yael as the book started, and then I was like, why wouldn't they make her more like clearly redheaded in the cover? And yeah. then I realized like it, it, it's probably not Yael. And I also thought more it was Aziza, but um, I don't know, anyone else had a different perspective? Throughout the book, I felt like Yael was the one I kept going back to as the main character because her description of course was the longest because that went on uh, what 200, maybe even yep. 250 pages was just yeah. her. So I think the description was strongest with her, although it, of course, 
I think they were all ultimately by the time I finished the book, they were they were all equal. But she was the one that I sort of mm -hmm. kept going back to. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I thought um, Lisa was the most uh, intense of the, of the women. <laughs> Definitely warrior. Yeah. Hey, right. I. I think there is a little bit that conversation because I mean it's fascinating and I don't think I've read other book in which it's written first person by different characters through the story and you get to hear their perspective and, and hear about the other characters from their perspective um, the the complexity of the characters is really well developed but do you guys feel like a stronger connection with one of the characters than others did that happen to you story or were you able to feel to just go thread as a more external um, type of relationship? Yeah. Oh, I, I, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I definitely, you know, as like the way she was born and then had to be a boy and hide her through nature. And she just, yeah, I, I thought she had a very, very complex roles and but do you identify with her? Was that the question? Do I identify? I, oh, I didn't. That's a follow-up question. I followed her <laughs> most closely. I thought she had a very complex life and what was expected of her. And, and then, you know, did I identify with her? Was that what your question? Yeah, like if you were to be place yourself in that period, would that be the person that you would feel like was most natural to you? Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you that's who I would identify with. Oh, you would? Uh, yeah, I was a borderline tomboy all my growing up years. You know, my father treated me as one of the boys. I was never daddy's little girl, you know. I was always one of the boys. He took me target shooting. I shoveled the snow. I raked the leaves. I mowed the lawn. And I did laundry and cleaned the kitchen. So... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I got to do it all. But no, I identified with her quite a bit, actually. I don't uh, think I had her courage. When, when you see her from a modern perspective, and I just, my mind goes into gender identity or the difference between gender identity or your sexual identity and how that played, because she clearly was inclined to love men. But she, her identification as a gender wasn't clearly as a woman. So I, I, I just felt it was fascinating how fluid her character is. And today we're learning that people are much more complex than we thought, whatever, how many years, 2000 years ago. But at the time, I, I just even, I mean, I know it's written today. So that's why it's not that, because she does such a good job in bringing you back to that time. I'm like, wow, this is a very complex character for the time, like extremely unique in the way she expressed this like male and female character. But maybe back then it was more normal, you know, like there were less restrictions and on how we need to just identify ourselves. And, and they speak a lot about like this godliness that is female and, and it's male in, in less like male dominant world. So I don't know, I, th I thought her, her complexity was very, like how deep her character was developed was really well done. Definitely. Yeah, I, 
I thought a lot of uh, along those lines as well, but I also was looking at how she was raised. We are a, often a product of our environment. She had her chest wrapped so that she could deny her female person so that she could be the son to her Moab father um, that he wanted. And he raised her to be like his son. And so, you know, was she like involuntarily thrust into this oh, yeah. dual role or did it come right. by her naturally was you know or him. or though she was wasn't metal her her calling or something like she identified with metal which yeah. meant, meant armaments and all that so uh, a lot of complexity yeah. here um wasn't her first name what was it? Rebecca. Rebecca? Yeah. Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. I think definitely she was thrust into it. That her father, the Moabite, wanted his son. Right. That was, yeah, it was a little bit forced into her, but she took pride in who she was. And her sister was always treated as a girl, and she went off into a very subservient life. That was just... Yep. Right. What? How do you pronounce the name of that sect that she joined? Assess. I literally called Rabbi Ari to ask that exact question before the book club. So I'll leave it up to everybody else to answer. Scenes. A scenes, I think. A scenes. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's a scene. Yeah. Yeah. I but never heard of them. Yeah. Um, I think it was it's, so interesting to learn that. You know, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Rabbi, wasn't that the Essenes wrote them and left them in the caves yes. and jars? According to many scholars. Yeah, yeah, according to many scholars, that's that we, it's interesting. We actually once had, this is years ago, one of the four, world's foremost scholars on the Dead Sea Scrolls speak on a Saturday night at the old Chabad in town. Charna, were you, I see you shaking your head. Were sure. you there? Yeah. Secrets, it was called Secrets yeah. of the Dead Sea Scrolls with uh, Professor Lawrence. Um, Lauren Schiffman, I believe is his name. I'll have to Google him in a second. But he was just fascinating because everyone's got a different theory. But the Essenes, there's definitely, it's, it's a, that's the major theory out there as to who those people were and what their deal was. It kind of reminded me of, um, is it the Amish or something, you know, very, um, very basic, simple people, um, but Jewish style. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me to read the Torah or whatever previous to them they were reading and think that just giving yourself to your enemy is the Jewish answer, you know, because through history, I mean, just pick any time, you know, even before we get into Israel, like the land itself, it, it's not what we're commanded to be. So that idea, it, it's... It, that was my issue with their lifestyles. Like, are they doing this because they think they're better Jews or just because that's the style they decide to leave? And they, and they praise themselves as better Jews and that this is the true Judaism, but where are they getting that from? Not, not much history is, is aligned to that, I think. That was my kind of... I think it was very interesting. And, and actually, history 
talks about them in a very similar fashion in the way they dress, the way they, what, what they use their days and, and it's talked to them in a very similar fashion. So I think that was pretty well portrayed. But I liked, in, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I liked how the author threw in lots of little tidbits that I never knew about. Um, I mean, we already talked briefly about all the superstitions and uh, all the weird, you know, that, that kind of life. But even things like how the man from the north, I think, yeah. no, no, the, um, that's the, the, the guy who was with Aziza. You are. Yes, you are. Right. Yes. So how, um, he turned his back on the temple because they were being hypocrites by um by ad always admiring the torah covered in gold you know the fancy coverings and that that was not the way it was intended right. so i don't know just that's you know and, and there's always been the, the the closet where you keep the torah and you keep it covered <laughs> out of sight and then you dress it in a cover, which I just thought was always for protection. Um, but then you have all these jeweled coverings and it just seems like it's counter what he believed it should be. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, uh, Rabbi, if you got anything to say on that? You're muted. He was the man of the valley. Yeah, thank you. It was Eliezer um, ben Yair who uh, railed against uh, the priests at the temple and why the ark was now not just in a tent but gilded. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, I, I thought the, the character, I kind of empathized the most. I don't think I represent myself. It's just such a foreign altogether reality that I have a hard time saying that it will represent, but Shira, how complex her life was. I was like, I felt a lot of empathy because even though you could see her wrongdoings, then when you understand her history and like the life she was brought to lead and how she was a product of something that was permitted and then not permitted anymore. So she took this status of like almost unwanted by Jewish people and how to live with the whole life and how she was able to keep her, not only her love to Eliezer, also her traditions and her involvement, like how she kept teaching them Hebrew and choosing like Jewish names, even though the kids based on the laws of the time are not even Jewish, which is the opposite of what we believe today, but that's how it used to be, you know, the two younger ones. And she used that against Nara at some point. It's like, if, if they would know who your father is, they wouldn't accept you. That's what she meant back then. The, 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 the religion was a, a fraternal religion. And just like the, what she went through to come back and then how she, at the end of the book, is like, maybe I should be in the red land, like referring to Petra. Maybe I should be there. What am I doing here? I'm like sacrificing my whole family for someone I love. Like, I don't know, I how complex her life was seemed very P 
pivotal for the book, like as, as almost like the main story of the book continue. But yeah, I would love to hear anyone else just pick a character. What about the prisoner, the slave? Yeah. And the relationship that Yael built with him. Anyone have anything to say? I mean, he wasn't, obviously he was not Jewish, but yet he understood the language. So my two sons of him is that he was used as a way to unify these four women. Because it was, it was pretty impressive that who should have been the source of, of completely disagreement around them, like fights or, or the way they would qualify him as either person or not. There's this part in which Rivka says, he's no more than like a little stone in your shoe. But the, the fact that they were able to all want the same and fight for the same, there's a way to show how united and like how connected the four of them was. That that was my impression of, of that character. But I would love to hear anyone else's. Well, the way he was treated is not the way we describe in our class with Rabbi Soli. She always say how you know we take. I mean, if we can say good care of the slaves back then. So I was glad that nothing happened when they, you know, they took care of him as they were supposed to. And I was a bit worried that he would turn back and do something bad. And, you know, so I was glad nothing happened and it, and, um, it, it justified what they did. That, to that's, it, that's interesting. I also thought, that possibly he could do something bad. But then I started thinking that he was a, good, a, a gentle soul and that he was also just thrust into the circumstances of his time yeah. and didn't want to be in that position. He wanted to go live his peaceful life, but he got pulled into the wars. Yeah, that, that character development I found interesting because again, he, in, the, in the beginning he was, uh, you would say he was a yold. I mean, just just a block, and he, he didn't know this, he didn't know that, he didn't know. But each time they described what he didn't know, he didn't know y Yiddish, and of course we immediately knew. Of course he knows Yiddish. Of course he knows Greek. Of course he knows this. And the, of course the character was developed where you know this was an intelligent man that happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and uh, became a slave. You know, so. Found that interesting. Um, I don't want to hear a spoiler alert, but do we ever hear what happened to him after he was set free? No, we don't. Win was just lost to the wind. Mm -hmm. So uh, we just have to imagine he's off with the lion somewhere. <laughs> right. We went back to the country right. of snow. What happened to him? But I, I really think a lot of this character development is you have these leaders that have really strong commitment to a cause and then just thousands of people following them. And even within the, the Jews, you see it. It's like, do they believe it? Because Shira keeps saying it's all because of Eliezer, it's all because of how strong he is. So, and I mean, you can see a whole through history. It's like, but this guy 
exactly the, the men of the north. It's like he was part probably of like this super large group with one strong leader and he, it, it's not his call in life, but then you have this, these leaders that they're really committed to this mission and they're just so powerful as leader that they just can attract hundreds or thousands of people to just align to them. But it's not their essence, it's not everybody's essence. But I'm talking about the lion, I think, um, in, and I don't really know much. I, I don't really have an opinion. I just would love to hear what you guys think about it. But the how animals plays a role on the book, I thought it was fascinating. I mean, starting with the lion, continuing with the doves, or even till the end, um, even the dog had almost like and the hawk. They, to um, they, the author was giving them human qualities, like the hawk was very loyal. Or so, like they, as I was reading the story, I was like almost at some points confused. I was like, do I see them as people? You know, like even the dog when he was protecting Aziz at the end, I almost in my imagination it became a person protecting Aziz. You know or just the, the, the doves in general, um, what, what, what was your perception of, of how, like the role of animals through the book? I thought the, uh, the animals uh, represented the, the dove of, of Israel, but the converse also the lion of Israel. And I felt like that was a, a stream that went throughout. Uh, I don't know, do, do other, did other people find that or was it just my perception of it and reading into it? I wasn't sure you know, of that, but that's the way I felt through the whole thing. I don't feel knowledgeable about those two references you just made, but my feeling um, was that animals have a sixth sense about people and they know good and evil people and, and they sense it. And this dog especially was, um, very astute and protected where needed and um you know i mean even the hawk and that's where the the prisoner started to show his true colors of being right. a good soul because mm -hmm. the hawk trusted him yes and, and so i don't know i i liked the inclusion of the the wildlife i like mm -hmm. the, the the kind of the lion brought full circle though to yael who left her lion dead with his family. Yep. And, she, and the lion lived within her all these years. And so she also had this magic touch with the creatures out there. And mm -hmm. so that, that didn't surprise me. And I kind of liked how that kind of played in mm -hmm. setting yeah, the lion free. Talk about the jackals and the hyenas. Yeah. Oh, that, that was very vivid. And then, you know, they talked about the Ibex up in the mountains and, you know, the dust storms were so intense that the birds couldn't fly or migrate. Yeah. The animals were a yeah, big part. Well, um, I don't, have any of you ever stayed at the kibbutz in En Gedi? I've uh, had the fortune of staying there a couple of times. And hearing about the horrible things that took place there, it's like, are you kidding me? This was like paradise in the middle of the Judean desert. 
and and then you see all the little miniature deer running all around the place and i'm imagining they're the ones that help to feed the people you know okay. has anyone ever been to engedi not yes. to the kibbutz specifically but to a like the waterfall area I yes mm -hmm. oh i never saw the waterfall area I, we just stayed there among the, the all the lush growth and everything is just there, there's a common hike that people do which is like it's like a small waterfall, I guess, for Israeli standards is big. But on my I list mean, for beautiful. On my list cool. now for next time. <laughs> yeah, really. Mm -hmm. Oh, and don't forget the goat that went with her to the uh, oh the Essenes right. and toilet milk, and, milk and, and then she had to uh, let it go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. I did forget yeah. about the goat. Absolutely. That's and that was so important. And that's the fascinating piece of the book. It was so important. And so like, if you were talk, if we would have done like a half point meeting at the book club, it would have been all about Yale and her experience and, the, and probably all these uh, perceptions. But like as the book just continues, it's, that's just a story that brought her to Masada, which is the center, the pivotal piece of the story. So how did you, anybody feel about the transformation of people when necessary. For example, I think was it Rivka who was, um, they were attacked when they were, and the little boys were behind the waterfall. And yeah. then what came, what came out of her afterward, how she was able to poison them and slit their throats. I mean, this is this sweet, gentle natured little woman from the city all of a sudden turning into a warrior, you know, and I don't know, that just was like, wow, a wow well, they moment. Were, they were going to kill her if she didn't do something. Yeah. You know, she she took that point, the hemlock. That was so clever. You know, yeah. <laughs> Someone, you know, for some reason I took it. I, oh, an angel. Was it an angel was uh, telling her what to take? To bring with her yeah. on the yeah. journey. Another reason she may have done that, um, her children were behind the waterfall. And her grand, those are her grandchildren. And eventually they'd have made noise, they'd have something. So right. she had to do something before they were aware of the children being there. So she, I think she did um, yeah. Yeah, even, the right thing. But even to put her daughter out of her misery. You know, that, that's, that, uh, wow. God, that, wow, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I think, I mean, in a personal level, let's hope we never are in a situation like that, but history has proved that it's, it's our nature. Like if we need to, in this case, I think what Steve is saying is the truth. It's like, if you have something to defend that you love, in, in this case are these two boys, it's anything is permissible. And, and you just become that dark, it's just a faucet that we don't see, we don't use, we wouldn't need to. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a transformation, just more than just part of who we are, and it's not, thank God, not needed in 99% in yeah. of the cases. Well, you but, know, it was, we often talk about don't get between a mother bear and her cubs. Yeah. You know, I've actually, um, I have to admit, I've had to draw on a little bit of that kind of reaction when my children were small and we lived with um, a creek and woods behind us 
And one day the kids came running in, mommy, mommy, there's a big snake. And I said, oh God, I hate snakes. So um, I went back and, and saw that the mother of all snakes was curled up on a bush in the creek. And it was easy for my kids to have gotten hurt or something because they're always playing in the creek. And I had a pellet gun in the garage, which is like an air gun, like a BB gun. So I went out there and I, I had to protect my children. And I, I got the snake right between the eyes. And um, it, I hated doing it, but I felt like this need I had to protect. So. Yeah, it's. It's Hope you don't mind that I, I admitted us. that. <laughs> no. Well, um, also, taking the last breath, that was, or giving breath, that was a theme too with um, two of yeah. the characters. That Rita, was repeated. And that then was fascinating. Also with Aziza, with the birth of her sister. And, and actually, Rivkoff gives it to Yoav later. She, yeah. And she repents. She says, This is one of the two things I regret in my life. And one is have letting my daughter go with him because she felt that while she had that last breath, the daughter was with her. And then she, she gave that to Yoav as like, it was your wife, I'll, I'll give you her breath. And yeah, that just his, like, go ahead, sorry. No, I'm just talking about his character, how it evolved. Right. And it, it went, it, it's very cyclical, but talking about Aziza's relationship, what was your perception of Yoav's, of um, Yael's brother? Like, did you have a positive association? Did it change through the book? Amram? Amram, yeah. yes. He, he was, um, shown in a positive light, but then Shira, when she, in her chapter, she, I think it was she who said that, that he was a spoiled brat. Um, so there were different perspectives. I thought he was held in high regard and they had a good relationship, but then um, it, yeah, it was changed, I think, also because of the, um, well, the last, um, well, I don't want to say too much, but um, <laughs> it happened with her daughter at the very, very in, end. In the, 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 yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I agree. I, it, was, it was very cyclical, my appreciation of Amram. Anyone else has a perception of him? He seemed like kind of a lightweight character to me. He was sort of on the, wasn't the main character to me, sort of on the sidelines, you know. It was the, definitely, yeah, no. Yeah, uh, like looking out for his sister, and then he wanted to become a soldier, but, you know, he wasn't the greatest soldier. I don't know. I didn't form too much of an opinion of him one way or the other until I the think, end. The death I think... I think he was kind of a shallow individual who wasn't very deep. He liked, you know, her, her because she was pretty. And um, I think that he was a, um, a tool for the author to help show the strength of Aziza. Let me say something about what you, you just mentioned. I had the same exact perception of like, it's all, 
only physical and it's a physical attraction and that's it. But then I realized that many of the relationships were just that kind of quote unquote level at first sight or just started as physical and they develop into something else and they didn't bother me. So like even Eliazar and Shira's relationship, they see each other and then that's it, you know, or all the other relationships in the book are very much alike, but somehow Amram seem, seem like a more, or they, the card, like the author just made a point in writing about him as a more superficial um, character or, or just superficial relationship. But I don't know if that's fair. And I went back and forth because like many of the relationships seem like the Shira's relationship in um, Yael's relationship in the desert it wasn't, it was all very similar in, in fashion, but um, somehow she made a point of giving us the impression that this was a superficial relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also that last, when they start going to battle together and when there, there is Aziza's perception of how he is almost like heartless in, in, in the field and how he's killing kids or doing this or that, that also affected her in the way she she saw him or stop basically yeah so i have a question um um i know that there was a period where jewish men were allowed to have multiple wives but was it also very common practice to take such young girls i mean 12 and 13 years old i mean was that like I mean, that's what we call pedophilia. <laughs> I don't think it was considered young back then, just yeah. in, in, in society as a whole, not, not in Judaism. Particular. But though the author kept referring to her as still being just a child, you know. I think a lot, and, and then that's when it comes, and, and it's not the, the core of, of the discussion or the book. I, don't, I think that's when it became less precise, is when she used today's values to to identify the, the, the practices back then. So even the concept of um, adultery, it wasn't true what she was describing. Um, the cases she, she called for adultery were a married man with a non-married woman, which it's not adultery based on, on the laws of Judaism back then. It became an issue when modern time, but um, the, the whole ceremony of the Sota because she was unmarried with a married man. It was just not true to the So, time. So she took some poetic license or liberty. She definitely more than once, I think. And, and it, that's the beauty of the story. It's like, it, I think what Rabbi Ari is saying, it, it didn't bother me. It didn't, it, it's so well written that we know it's a novel and, and part of it is true. And then she gives reference to things that if you want to learn more of actually the historic side of this, you can refer to these sources, but um, the, at least that I know, which is that um, I think the age perspective is, is with our eyes, is with today's eyes of how it sounds like horribly terrible. And then the, the adultery perception of a married man, it's also a more modern concept in Judaism. And yeah, I wanted to pitch okay. in on that, that um, Eliezer uh, Ben Yair, and uh, they eloped. I mean, they got married. 
Right. Yeah. I, they they yeah. were married. So, yeah. And, you know, she was like 12 or 13. I think what was the book pointed out, what was really appalling was the young brides in the desert. And they were truly young, very young children. Oh, the two, they, the two yeah, girls the that two were dead. Brides, yeah, yeah. died hand in hand. It was commented that they weren't even old enough to menstruate. Right. And that was a unique, that wasn't the Jewish practice. I don't think that was a common practice. It was more the nomads practice, which were even by their standard back then were seen as like very beast type of behaviors, you know? So, but the, the Jewish standards, definitely the age wasn't as problematic as we see it today. Um, and a man with multiple wives. I think at some point she mentioned that within wealthy people, it wasn't as common, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily the norm, but there were certain situations in which yeah. that the, the social scheme on a specific town or city or whatever, it just- Well, like, like Shira's Moab husband had multiple wives and he would take off and leave her to go visit with them. Right. Right. And his, for, his for other periods of time, right? Like for long periods of time. And just just to echo what the, this conversation and what Ariel is, I think it's a it's it's a very important point to make. The Torah itself talks about how Avram Abraham, the first Jew, he's married to Sarah, but he has a relationship with Hagar. Right. So, and that's not considered again biblical law. It wasn't considered. It wasn't prohibited. So I mean we have we have rabbinic law today and it's a bit of a different uh, a different a different situation, but biblical law it was it was an adultery. But was it okay for the women to have a a, a relationship with another man, or no. were they bound to their husband? Period. Full stop. Were, right. right. That was the con the adultery considered in the Bible, like at least in in so you, the both tools include the man, but. It, back to Jewish law, just based on the initial Bible, it was definitely adultery with a woman, a married woman with a, another man. As far as I thought he was able to enter into a relationship with Hagar, with uh, Abraham's wife's blessing because she was barren. That, was that used to be a very common reason to, yeah. to go get, um, a different wife that was it, it was seemed to be that it was the main wife even through the bible the, not like the moab experience that was described as like six months with i mean we don't know how many but like it was like i'll just go around my few wives and they, yeah but the moab the, the way they describe the moab experience i i love that part it's just so foreign and, and she makes it so natural and so human somehow that I think she yeah. that, that piece of the story is, is beautiful. I would have enjoyed if she had actually gone to Petra so I could hear what life was like there. Right? <laughs> I so haven't I been to be. Petra yet. It's on my list. That's, no, that's a great that trip. The weather mentioned also you know, she regret also that if she would have allowed um, Shira to be, you know, the official second wife, then it would have been easier. She would have been able to enjoy the kids and everything, but she chose differently. Right. And 
and that takes us to the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To that. And one more uh -huh. comment that I thought, you know, the weather was a big item in the book, you know, just like the animals were, the weather, the dust storms, the heat, you know, just that had a very big role in the book. Well, just survival. <laughs> just to survival. me, it really. Anybody, anyone that has been in Israel in, in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think just to me, the part of that is just understanding how disconnected we are with not all of us, but many of us are so disconnected from nature that it doesn't really matter what's going on outside. The animals don't bother us. The weather doesn't, but we have our houses, we have our fortresses <laughs> right. and Zygazunt, you know, windstorm, a snowstorm. I have a roof, I have insurance and, you know, Zyga, unless it's a hurry, mamish, you know, Gavaldic, but otherwise typically we're good to go. But it's different. You were living outside and every rain, every sandstorm, every beating sun, lack of water, it's real, just real, just being really connected with nature on a completely different level. And, and that's I, I love the book in that it really, as I said before, just takes you to a different, just a different state, which is, I think, yeah. gorgeous. And if you look behind me in my photo scenery, I have my sky garden going again on my balcony. Um, and I'm raising plants and foods and vegetables. And I was identifying with all of that in the book as well, because I know that when we have dry spells or extreme mm -hmm. heat, my plants suffer, you know? And um, anyway, I just throw that in there. <laughs> Yeah, the weather component, it's really, I mean, you dread, like, as the months keep going on, and I'm like, let's not be av again, you know, let's not be that a horrible heat. But, One yeah. tradition they mentioned is that he couldn't see his daughter when she was born for 10 days. Is I that know. a thing? Um, well, that but she, ap she appreciated I've it. I've never heard that before. Neither, but she she was happy about it. She appreciated that tradition. Yeah, it's really that interesting to protect to protect the man from the possibilities of something that could be unpleasant. Right. You know, <laughs> but to then protect it, the kid to not be unwanted by the dad. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I know the the superstition that I grew up with about when you are pregnant, you don't have a baby shower because you're tempting fate. Mm -hmm. So. You know, you wait till after the baby's born, then you set up the room and do all that. So, right, which, um, we're I just very quickly, I'm gonna bring leave a few minutes to talk about the magic elements, I promise. But just before that, um, I just wanna mention that um, phrase that Shira kept repeating, um, that we learned later at the end of the book that was her mom said to her which is love will be your undoing. And yeah. that she, this relationship with love, and, and I think I try to keep track because the first time I saw it, I remember how important it was for me the first time I read it. And I think this was repeated about 30 times in the book. This, just these few words. So what, did, what was your understanding on, on this um, concept of love will be your undoing and how she was trying to keep her own kids out of love, which seems like so basic in human just 
experience. So did anyone have any appreciation of this specific phrase? I'll, I'll say mine, <laughs> but um, anyone jump, just jump in. The, the way I see it, it, or what it evokes to me is that it was her own lot. It was her own weight of, of, of life. And it was not a fair decision to pass it to their, to their daughters or necessarily true. Even within those very like esoteric, um, levels but I, I don't know I just love how afraid they were to be committed in a in a romantic way and at the end when she's like now we're all gonna die which we knew from the beginning this is not a surprise um she she's like I shouldn't be here love was my undoing I should be in Petra somewhere and, and everybody will be alive you know and he says that to Aziz at the end so um it's, it's interesting, the power of, of love in the book and, and how I wouldn't have thought about it because it seems so natural, but because she kept repeating it, all of a sudden we're like, wow, if she wouldn't have loved this man or all these other love relationships, life would have been much easier for many of them, you know? Um, but going back to the magic piece of the book, I think, um, there is, I, I, I divide kind of two concepts in, 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 in the book experience, or three really. One is Judaism and Jewish practice and how it evolves with and without the temple. The, the second one is Jewish concepts, but extremely present in the book, like um, in, in just almost like a different level of sensitivity. We, we still believe on um, the fact that spirits can be that are true that there is an asham like there is like a soul after the person dies and that they're malachamavet like this angel of death is, is a true jewish concept um just we don't we're not in tune with this you know so the fact that they kept repeating it and kept repeating it, at some point i was like could it be so central to their life or could it be in this level that they were so connected that they would see or feel or dream. And the same with dreams. We, we, we have a lot of going back to the Bible or, or, or all these different situations that dreams have, a, have power. But today, we don't, who relies on their dreams as like, yeah, they're going to tell me my future. Like, it's not, a, we're not necessarily in tune. And then the third element is like the, the magic itself, which is the, this book that she, she received from her mom that had all this like mix a little bit of this and that and like incense and and the, she had this little altar which almost seems like idolatry you know she would she would talk about like the the queen of of these and and turn a little candle for it you know so this is how in my mind I divided even though they all seem so foreign for us and almost intertwined and then even when we talk about like these things. Um, that are in this middle element. Like I, growing up, I had like oh, people stop. saying to me, um, people saying to me, like, don't put a kid on the table because you're going to tempt the Malachamavet. Like literally 
today, like 10 years ago, or press yeah. someone yeah. with people because you're going to confuse them. Like those things are like, it feels like, is it really Judaism? Is it really, should I listen to it? Should I give it power? So I would like um, Rabbi Ari, if you want to start giving us just a general appreciation of that element of the book for you. And then I would love to hear everybody's comments. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, I like the way you divided it. I just want to, I was just quickly looking up a story from the Talmud, Tratit Sanhedrin, tells a story that there was a rabbi, uh, Ravashi, who said to his students, tomorrow we're going to learn about uh, three kings, Manasseh, one of the Jewish kings in the past. And Manasseh, the king, appears to him in a dream that night and says, how dare you call me Manasseh without an honorarium, without, sorry, without an honorific. It's like, um, but we're not colleagues. And he says, well, I, he was, Manash, King Manasseh was a, was a, in our history, he was an idolatrous king, a Jewish king who was all into Avodah Zarah, all into idolatry. He essentially tells the rabbi in this dream, in this vision, he said, if you would have been with me, if you would have lived then, you would have lifted up the hem, you would have lifted up your robe to run after me to serve idols. In other words, the, the, it was a different reality than you cannot superimpose your perception uh, of right and wrong and, 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 and the way things work back then, which means this, and the way it's explained in the Kabbalah is essentially that back in the day, there was a fierce spiritual desire. There was spirituality, right, was very strong. It's like the way today people are drawn after money and fame and power and influence. They were drawn after spirituality. And so you either found it on the, you found it wherever you got it. People were looking for fixes. The kosher side. The, kosher, the, the light side, the dark side, whatever it is, right? So like, and even people that went to the temple would also dabble in other types of practices to get a hit and a high, you know, a spiritual high elsewhere. So it's kind of like, I'm just thinking modern examples of like, how we're into food, how we're into entertainment. So you go to a movie theater, but then you have Netflix at home. So there was a temple and then people would have, you know, illicit, uh, um, I'm not saying Netflix is illicit, I'm just saying that, but maybe the movie studios would think that, but you would have like also, you know, makeshift um, uh, altar set up and you would practice other sorts of worship and sorcery. So it's it's really hard to, put ourselves into that space. The Talmud says that by the time of the second temple, um, the rabbis got together and kind of put an end to that type of fierce desire for idolatry. And it was removed from the world. So we don't have the sensitivity either way. We don't have the sensitivity toward holiness or the desire for unholiness on the same level. We're just desensitized all around. It's like this, like this cold water poured over the whole thing, but it was real. Um, that's my understanding is the Torah says, don't practice, don't um, practice uh, soothsaying and, and calling up the dead and necromancing. And it talks about the Asherah tree and the Baal. It talks about all of these types of, of, of idols and sorcery and black magic and all these things and says, don't do it. And my understanding is the fact that the Torah says not to go there means that there was something there to go to. Because if it was Baba Mises, it would have just said it's Baba Mises. It doesn't say that. Right. It says that's not your way. It's not the Jewish way. Rabbi, I have a that, question to you. Yeah. It's, I was disturbed at the end when there was so much slaughter. And I thought, 
why would people, why would God say you, your soul has to roam the world forever because your head has been severed or because you weren't born, uh, you died in your mother's womb? It just seemed like, is that God really, is that true? I cannot believe that. Not, not exactly, but I, I mean, the, the idea that, look, spirituality was, was on a heightened level then, and it's hard for us to relate, but I think it's, imp- I think in, in general, it's, um, you know, to what extent did the average Jew dabble in other, other types of practice? You look at Nach, you look at the, the books of the prophets, and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't always um, the way the way it was supposed to be. It, there was a lot of other other um, influences that that got that got involved. The temple, first temple, was destroyed because of idolatry. So, but there Rabbi, were is it true that you know, if the people whose heads were severed, they would never be able to get to heaven? I I, I think that's more of a superstition than necessarily a, a hard and fast rule. Um, but so, yeah, yeah, my, um, my, uh, ex-father-in-law, um, had to have both of his legs amputated. This is a while, a long while ago. And his, uh, brother-in-law, um, was extremely orthodox in his Judaism. And he admonished the hospital to save the legs for the, when the time came for him to be buried someday, he had to have his body parts all together. And that's because if he didn't, he wouldn't be recognized and be able to go into heaven or whatever, whatever the reasons are. You were, that, that was accurate up until that last point. Because, not you, I'm saying the, the, yeah, the, the story. story is accurate up until that last point. Torah says that the, the body needs to be that the body needs to be buried, the whole body, which is why when there's God forbid a terrorist uh, act in Israel, Zaka, there's an organization that goes and literally, I don't want to get too gory, but scrapes off every ounce of blood and 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 human material from the Possible. walls and from the ground to bury it. So the idea that a leg shouldn't be just thrown out, a hundred percent, it should be buried. Is it because without that, the soul's not going to get into heaven? That's, as they say today, as the kids like to say, that might be fake news. That, but, right. but there is an idea about that... the Holocaust. For, yeah, they exactly. I mean, we, the rabbi no, said not. they were all martyrs. And of course. All, it's about kavod hamet. It's, it's about the honor. It's, it's about honoring, honoring the, it's not the about body. It. It's about handling the, caring for the body with, with respect and dignity. Right. It's not about if you don't, it's like the I, I don't want to debunk anyone's uh, conceptions here, but I'll just but I'll, but I'll go ahead anyway. The idea that if someone has a tattoo, they can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Not true. Now, I'm, mothers love to scare their children with that, perhaps. And who am I to take that away? The element of fear. But it's yes, yeah, like don't don't let it get out that that's not true. But it's certain things are true. Like we stay away from certain things, but it doesn't mean that. The next part of it is necessarily true. So, yes, there is a concept that buried the legs in that situation, but it doesn't mean that without it, God can't find the. Uh, oh, it's basically out of respect this. for the person. Yeah. Respect, it's like, right? Like in the book, she was always worried about cleaning the body correctly and right. wrapping and this and that and the other, yeah. um, and that her her daughter 
who went with the Esnees. Is that right? Esnees. Esnees. Okay. Esnees is going to wander now forever because <laughs> she didn't get to bury her properly. You know. That's more superstition than necessarily Jewish uh, teaching. Yeah, I, there was a lot of that in my grandparents' generation because I, my grandfather had a lot of things he would say too, like no whistling in the house, and don't swing your legs under the table, and then don't open an umbrella in the house. These were all superstitions that he had that we all assumed came from something Jewish. <laughs> I always heard don't open up a, an umbrella in the house because then it's going to rain by your chuppah, by your wedding. And then I also heard that if it rains <laughs> by your wedding, it's a blessing. So I'm like, now what? Yeah. So now right. what? So you shouldn't open because then it's going to rain. But if it does rain, it's a good thing. So one second, there's a so loop here that's like this, <laughs> this infinite loop. The, anyway. the rabbi where I grew up, Orthodox, um, Vlad, he moved me out of a corner of a table when I was right. 20 years old. And he's like, you don't want to get married at 27 move back to the middle and I'm like what um so fine I mean it it's not let's not dwell on it but in the book I mean I think it was just at the beginning I thought it's almost over detail like why are we saying all this stuff it's too much but as the book kept going it was just fascinating as as, as you just realized it's so vital for their identity but I'm a, a, I, I'm astounded at how much research this author must have done to piece this together. Five years. I, I heard, I read an interview right before. I mean, I heard it. It was live. Um, the only reason she says she's capable of writing this book is because she didn't know anything about it. Um, oh. she's, a, she's, a, she's a fantastic writer. And she said... If I would, she went to Masada herself and then she's like, I want to write the sort of this two women and five kids. Um, she said, if I would know a little bit more and knew how long of a path it would have been to get to understand the reality, I wouldn't have started. But because she didn't know anything about it besides like what you learn when you just go to Masada, she was able to em embrace and embark this path. She said to Teal Page, she did it kind of chronologically. She explains she writes books in two different manners. Sometimes she writes an outline and then she goes back and puts details on it. And sometimes she starts from the beginning to the end. She says till she finished, almost finished, she was sorry. She didn't know who would be the two women that survived. She knew it needed to be two because that's the historian um, perspective of what happened in Mitzada. So she wanted to be two. She knew it would be the five kids, but she wrote the book and naturally appeared to her um, that it, those are the two women that need to survive. So, wow. just, so um, again, shared the link, but it was very interesting too. So it's in reality, in reality, did anyone survive Masada? Yeah. So yes, this is, is, I mean, reality is what we know from historians, but yes, we know about two women and five kids surviving. Basically, everything that we know about it is from Josephus, who was a Jew who became a Roman historian. There, there's this question has never been answered. How legit was the history that Josephus wrote? No one knows. But this no. is what he wrote. And that's the only account we have. 
That's okay. So there's no other account that fundamentally challenges it. The, really, the only question is, was Josephus making stuff up for the Romans? Was he embellishing? Because that's how he spared his own life. And that's how he made a living to write the Jewish history vis-a-vis -vis the Rome, you know, that the other side, he kind of wrote it for the Romans about the Jews. How accurate was he? That's that you could pick either side. Right. And there are scholars that support that side. No one else. Right. Okay, Rabbi, I have a question for you. You know, at the, they, he picked 10 people uh, to be the, the, the ones who would go around and slit the throats of everyone else. And then one man <clears throat> was to be left. And he was the one who was supposed to bear all the guilt and all the pain. How unfair is that? It just enraged me that that guy had to bear all the sins. But he's the one who had to kill himself at the end. Right. So it's a double barrel, a double whammy. Not fun. Not fun. We had a class once. We had a class on... Masada on this uh, on this period of history. We did one of our JLI classes was on this period. I mean, it's it's um, it's it was pretty brutal. You know, I thought I, I came late, but did you discuss that there's a TV show about it? I haven't seen it, but I've right, that's true. It's either I don't know if it's a movie or a TV show. I have not it, seen so... it either. What is it about from the book? Yeah, yes. it's called the Dovekeeper. It's the same name. Yes. Um, I would love to hear next time. We can dedicate five minutes if someone watch it. Mm -hmm. I haven't. Uh, uh, I, I have time. Mrs. Maisel plays. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, does she? Mrs. Maisel plays the IL. Oh wow! Oh, really? Oh, oh really? Now, we now we all have to watch it. What What is it on? What What uh, service? Um, I think when I looked it up, I think I found I saw that it was on CBS. I think it aired on CBS. Is that true? Oh. I wonder if I can get it on demand. Yeah. All right, it's I, Ariel, I think you should so should we prime. wrap it up because we're at the time? I think. Yes. Um, yeah. you if we can give five minutes to discuss that next time if anyone gets to watch it. But yeah. um, I'm happy people enjoyed the book. I knew it was a lot big task, 500 plus pages, but um. We're gonna be sending the next book for next month for May during this week. And we have some exciting candidates. So um, yeah, looking forward to seeing everybody. Um, I don't know if there's any closing comments or questions. Now well, is the time. A closing comment would be that I thought that the Essenes put up a stark contrast to unlike uh, the Jews who are practicing magic and witchcraft and all that, the Essenes were very pure. I mean, they were the exact opposite. Yeah. And I, my takeaway is how much I don't know about our, uh, our history. And I, I got to figure out a way to make time to learn more. <laughs> and, you know, I see all your classes advertised, but I can never seem to figure out how to fit my time. So eventually, little little. No, yeah, eventually. Uh, oh, can anyone see this picture very clearly? I don't know if yeah. you can or not. Masada, area. Yeah. yeah, and there's the North Palace. Yeah. yeah, I know. I can't imagine going up and down those steps all the time. <laughs> wow. I mean, we got to use the new modern made steps. <laughs>
even like elevator almost like no i mean they, they the constructed stairs for the tourists versus right. the stone path and steps all the way down can't yeah. imagine this not killing one, you so. the snake path that's behind you yeah yeah amazing i haven't gone up it yet i will one day i've always done the gondola my kids all you know the kids all went on the snake path so. awesome but uh, yep happy you all enjoy it and we'll oh, uh, thank you very much yeah, thank, thank you, you. Awesome. Yeah, thank yeah. you ariella and thank yeah. you all for joining and as ariella said as ariella said we'll send out information in the next few days about the next title so stay tuned for the yeah, next yeah. great Jewish book club entry. Yeah, this was a good discussion tonight. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you Thanks. all. Bye. 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 Bye.